Hi, I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, we're going to be diving into some biblical answers for common questions that women ask about purity. And I'm really excited to dive into this with you. Before we get into those questions, I wanted to invite you to our upcoming Purity Summit that Eric and I will be hosting in Colorado this Sunday, September 22nd, 2019. If you'd like to join us live in Colorado, register by September 21st at braveheartedchristian.com. Just click on the events tab and that will take you to the registration page. If you'd like to join us via simulcast anywhere in the world, you can register anytime between now and September 30th. Again, at braveheartedchristian.com. Just click on the events tab and that will give you all the instructions of how to register. This is a great event for singles, young adults, and even parents who are just wanting to pass on the vision of real purity to their children. In this day and age, it can be such a blurry issue as purity is being attacked and criticized, we need to get back to the understanding of God's vision for purity, not a stodgy legalistic version that we may have grown up with or just the cynical attitude towards purity that a lot of Christians are adopting today. What does the Bible say about purity and why is it important and how does it really work in a Christian's life? That's what we're going to be diving into at this upcoming Purity Summit. So I'd love to have you join us in Colorado or any where you are via simulcast. If you register for a simulcast, you can stream the sessions anytime between now and early December. So if you'd like to gather a group together, this is a great opportunity to do that. There are going to be four sessions in this event. So it's something that you could do in one evening or spread it out over four weeks. So again, find out information at braveheartedchristian.com in the events tab. Hope to see you there. So let's look at some of the most common questions that I have heard over the past 25 years with regards to the topic of purity. And probably at the top of the list is the question, does a purity commitment before marriage guarantee a great marriage. A lot of us grew up in Christian circles that promoted that idea. So it was sort of like if you make these commitments, if you wait faithfully for your spouse, you can be assured that you will have a better version of marriage. The reality is that purity is a very important part of God's pattern for a healthy relationship. However, a great marriage is not only built upon the foundation of just purity. The cornerstone of a successful, beautiful, lasting marriage is selflessness, putting the other person's needs above your own, constantly looking for ways to serve rather than just to be served. And actually living in purity before marriage, real purity, where it's not based on a selfish agenda or motive or a legalistic rule, real purity should flow from that motive of selfless love, a motive that says, I I may not even know the name of the person that I am one day going to be married married to, but I'm choosing to set my life apart for them and wait faithfully for them and guard these things as a sacred treasure for that person that I will one day spend my life with. It should be the outflow of a selfless, sacrificial type of love. And when you take sacrificial, selfless, outward-focused love into a marriage relationship, you have the foundation for happily ever after. Because when two people are constantly looking to always get their own needs met and forgetting that really the greatest joy comes in laying down your life and serving the other person, That's that will not cause a marriage to last. Even if you may have grown up with a 
purity commitment, the beauty and the romance in your marriage can quickly die if you did live in purity before marriage, if you're not cultivating that attitude of selflessness after marriage. And obviously, bringing Christ into the center of a marriage is another key part of what makes a marriage beautiful and lasting and the way God intended it to be. So selfless love and a Christ-centered focus are really the foundation of a great marriage. So purity is just merely the outflow of a Christ-centered focus and a selfless Another really common question about purity that I've been asked quite a bit over the past 25 years is dating or courtship. Which one is better? It's so interesting how we as Christians want to put a label on things. You know, I choose this way of living and this is the label that I'm going to give to it. And Eric and I decided early in our ministry that we really did not want to put a label on our message on purity and godly relationships because dating and courtship, both of those terms mean something different to anybody that you ask. To one person, dating might mean a God-centered relationship that is headed towards marriage that is marked by faithfulness and honor. And in that case, I would say that dating relationship is very healthy. To another person, a dating relationship might mean jumping from one short-term fleeing to the next and giving your heart, soul, mind, and body to one person after the next. And in that case, I would say dating by that definition is not healthy and it's not reflective of God's pattern. So really, the terminology that you use is totally dependent on the individual person's perspective. So it's really important not to get stuck on labeling things. Courtship to one person can mean a healthy God-centered relationship that is marked by honor, but to another person, it might mean a list of legalistic rules and formulas trying to have this self-made, quote, pure relationship. And in that case, I would say courtship is not healthy. So Eric and I chose not to use the term dating or courtship as we explained our message on relationships. Instead, we like to focus on Christ-centered relationships. And really what that means is you're surrendered to Jesus Christ. The two most important principles for a successful relationship, the first one is absolute surrender to Jesus Christ, letting him be in control of your life, letting him be in the driver's seat and saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, where we lay down our own agenda and we say, Lord, I trust you to lead and guide my life and I'm not going to push my own agenda above your plans and your purposes for me. And then the second principle is faithfulness, cultivating that selfless love that we talked about just a minute ago, being faithful to your spouse before you meet them and after marriage. Those two qualities really mark a God-written love story. And it doesn't matter if you call it dating or courtship. It, what matters is, is Christ at the center? Are you cultivating a Christ-centered focus in your own life? And when that relationship begins, do you have Christ at the center? Is Jesus sort of an afterthought in the relationship or are you trusting his guidance? Are you surrender to him? Are you more committed to bringing him glory than you are gratifying your own personal desires? If you look at the motives and the heart condition of each individual person in the relationship, you'll know whether it's truly healthy or not, whether it's truly Christ-centered or not. So rather than getting hung up on terms like dating or courtship, I would really encourage you to build a Christ-centered relationship. And, you know, every individual person as a Christian is responsible for taking the scriptural principles that God has given us in his word and letting him show us how to apply those principles to our own unique situation. A Christ-centered relationship is not something that you can make into a cookie cutter formula. You can't say step one, step two, step three, because everyone's story is different. However, there are key core principles from God's word that will always mark a Christ-centered relationship. 
relationship. As we talked about, surrender and faithfulness and honor and selflessness. So don't think in terms of a label. Think in terms of bringing Christ into the center of this area of your life, surrendering to and he will guide you in what that specifically means for your life. Another question I've heard often is I would like some practicals in explaining my purity standards to either mediocre Christians or non-believers who don't value the marriage covenant. And one girl said to me, you know, I really desire to come across in a loving way as I communicate my purity standards. And yet there are times when people just don't understand why I'm living this way. And I'm afraid that I'm going to come across as judgmental or harsh as I try to communicate my standards. One of the most important pieces of advice that I could give in this situation is to really focus on your own story, not to necessarily get on a soapbox and preach about why you know living a certain way is evil and wrong, but talk about what God has done in this area of your life. I remember one time a girl came to me and asked me when this was before I was married, she asked me why I wasn't dating around in short-term flings. And I was all ready with my fiery lecture about why short-term flings were wrong and dangerous and why, you know, we needed to be faithful to one person and all the things I I said were good and were right, but I did not communicate them in a Christ-like way. I was more just kind of on a soapbox. And I realized I wasn't getting through to her. I wasn't making any kind of an impact on her. So the next time somebody asked me that same question, I really felt like I needed to just focus on my own story and not concern myself with preaching a big sermon about it, but just say, God has led me to make these decisions, and here's why I've made these decisions, and here's how I feel God has specifically led me in this area, and then just let God use that as he chose to use it in the other person's life. And I found that to be very, very effective because it's not something that's going to get the other person's defenses up as quickly as if they feel like you're giving them a lecture. You don't need to water down the truth of what you're saying, but you can focus more on your own story than on just giving them a sermon about it. There's that famous quote, preach Christ at all times and if necessary, use words. And that is so true when it comes to communicating about your own standards for purity. Live it out, be consistent, be loving, be gracious towards others and let them see the example of your life more than just your words spoken. And that's how you'll really be able to make an impact. And when it comes down to it, we really do need to be willing to be unashamed of the purity standard that God has called us to and not to feel like we have to water it down or apologize for it. And that's something that is really important in this day and age when Christians are apologizing for the standards of God. We are called to be bold and unashamed with how God has called us to live. So ask God for the courage to do that. And at the same time, be loving and gracious and focus mostly on just sharing your own story and your own decisions and let God use that as he will. Don't underestimate the power of prayer when it comes to softening someone's heart. If you really have a desire to communicate truth to someone in this area of purity and you feel like they're not going to be very receptive to it, really set the stage with prayer. A lot of times we look at prayer as an afterthought, but prayer can really soften someone's heart in a powerful way before we ever even open our mouth to speak to them. So lay the foundation with prayer. Pray consistently that God would prepare their heart, and then when the door opens for you to speak truth, you'll be amazed at how much their heart has been softened just through your faithful, diligent prayer. 
Here's a question that came into me when we were doing our online course on purity, and I thought it was a really good question. She said, can you show me in scripture how Christ views a woman who has maintained her purity compared to a woman who has not? Does he think more highly of the one who has? What an important because so many of us have allowed purity to be trampled in our life. And it's easy to feel like we're going to end up with a second rate version of love and romance as a result of our, or almost look at Christ as somehow looking down on us or thinking lesser of us because we have made mistakes in this area. I think the key as I look at scripture is the heart attitude of repentance. That's what God sees. Man looks on the outside, but God sees the heart. He doesn't just look at the mistakes that we've made. He looks at the attitude of our heart. So if we have made mistakes in this area and we have a hard heart and we're not repentant and we're still sort of kind of holding on to that justification, like I had every right to make my own decisions in this area, that will put a barrier in between our relationship with with Christ. It doesn't mean he looks down on us or thinks lesser of us. It just means that we cannot have that unhindered intimacy with him as long as we have that unrepentant heart. If you look at the woman in Revelation, who Jesus is speaking to the churches, and he's talking about a woman named who was seducing the believers to commit fornication. It says that he gave her space to repent of her fornication, but she did not repent. And so therefore, his judgment is coming upon her. And yet at the same time, you can look at the woman who was caught in adultery and how Jesus came and basically rescued her from those who wanted to destroy her because he saw in her a heart of repentance, a heart that was willing to go and sin no more. The same is true with the woman who came and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Here was a sinful woman, and I can almost guarantee you she had not maintained her purity commitment because everyone in the village knew that she was a sinful woman, most likely a prostitute or something along those lines, and yet Jesus saw in her a repentant humble heart, a broken and contrite spirit. And it says that when we have a broken and contrite spirit, he will not cast us off. And you see such a tenderness on the part of Christ towards these women who had thrown away their purity, but because of their heart attitude of repentance, he was ready to redeem, restore, renew. So it's not a matter of saying whether you've lost your your purity or haven't lost your purity, and that's how Christ judges you. It's where is your heart at? Are you repentant? Are you willing to follow that pattern of Christ when he says, go and sin no more. And by the grace of God, turn and walk the other direction. And when we choose that heart of repentance, he gives us a hope and a future. He gives us a fresh new beginning. He doesn't look at us and say, well, now you're destined to a you know, second rate future because of the mistakes in your past. He's ready to redeem and restore and renew. So hopefully that will help clear up that question because I think so often the enemy uses our mistakes to condemn us and make us feel like it's too late and we can never experience anything beautiful in this area. So we might as well just stay in our sin. And what an incredible lie from the enemy when we realize the hope in the future that is waiting for us when we're ready to repent and allow Jesus to wash us clean and make it. Here's another great question that came in when we were doing the online purity course. And I've actually heard a similar question from many different women over the years, but it's basically wondering, how do I send the message to someone in my life that I don't believe he's the right man for me. Maybe you're friends with this person or he's been pursuing you, but you're not feeling like a piece about moving forward in a 
romantic relationship. And the girl that wrote in with her question said, how do I back out of the situation in a grace-filled way and maintain the friendship at the same time? That is a really tricky situation, and it really depends on the individual circumstance. But the best course of action, no matter what, is to always be honest and direct. I think a lot of times we as women, we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. So it's easier to be vague and kind of string someone along, not really because we want to string them along, but because we're afraid to be honest and direct. Now, being honest and direct does not mean you need to be rude. You don't need to say, hey, I have no attraction for you whatsoever. Get out of my life. You can be just clear in the sense that you don't feel this is where God is leading you right now. You don't have a piece about moving forward. And that is plenty of honesty and directness. The danger comes when we sort of leave that door open because we're sort of afraid of hurting his feelings. It's a lot more respectful to a guy to be upfront and say, this is not the direction I feel God is leading me than to kind of leave that door open because you're afraid of hurting his feelings. It might be hurtful to him to hear that in the beginning, but it's going to be a lot more hurtful if you string him along for months or years and then finally back out of the whole relationship. I would also say that There's a lot of danger in miscommunication when your primary source of communication is through a digital. There are a lot of relationships forming today through the internet and on social media and online dating sites and online dating apps. And so often things can be shared and communicated online that are not really what should be shared and communicated if you had a face-to-face relationship. So be really careful not to give your heart, your emotions, Um, just share too much of yourself in a digital type of situation until you've really gotten to know the person in a real life context. So I could go into that. We have another podcast, though, about online dating. So you can listen to that if you'd like to go deeper into that. But be very guarded with digital communication. It's one thing to meet someone in a digital situation, but to progress the relationship, it's so important to actually know who they are in real life, not just who they are on the computer, because you can really put on a good show for someone when you only have digital communication there. You really can't always see behind the scenes. You can't always see how that person treats people in their life and what they're really like and how what their relationship with God really is unless you can get to know them personally. So without going too far into it, I would say if you're in a situation where you need to back off from a friendship or you need to really let a guy know this isn't something you want to pursue, be clear and direct. And if he still won't take the hint, which is another question a lot of girls ask me, what do I do when a guy still won't take take the hint or, or accept the fact that I am not interested in a relationship? You may actually really need to back away completely from the friendship. And if that still doesn't work, you may need to recruit the help of a godly protector in your life, a dad or a, a spiritual leader who can just step in and say, hey, this needs to end. You know, you need to leave her alone. And hopefully it won't get to that point. But I have seen situations where a young woman just needs to recruit the help of a protector because the guy just won't um, take no for an answer. So just prayerfully consider your specific situation and know that God is going to lead you and guide you and you don't need to walk through this alone. He will direct you and you can go to other God in, in your life for their protection, help and Another great question that I've heard is, what do men find attractive in a woman of feminine mystery? Can you give examples in the Bible of women who displayed this quality? That is a really great question. The culture trains men to think of women who are very 
forward, very aggressive, very unguarded as attractive. But if you look at the pattern of scripture, there's such a beauty in a woman who guards her feminine mystery, who doesn't just share everything with everyone, who holds back, who allows the man to be the one to pursue her. And that really is what is attractive to a man rather than this really aggressive type of femininity that the culture promotes. And, you know, of course, a guy may seem at first like he wants a girl to be the one taking the initiative because it takes all the work out of it for him. But in the end, he sort of loses respect for her and for himself because God designed him to be the one to initiate the relationship and him to be the one who leads the relationship. I've talked before in this podcast how a lot of married women get frustrated that their husbands are not more leadership oriented in the spiritual relationship or in leading the home or the family. But a lot of times the woman pulled that role out of his hands before the relationship even started because she was the one initiating everything. So, you know, it takes a lot of grace and just God's enabling power to allow the man to be the initiator and to not pursue him and kind of rush ahead out of impatience. But when we hold back, when we say, Lord, I'm going to trust that you will move on his heart to take the first steps to be the leader, that's when the relationship really gets off to a healthy start. And I've talked to so many godly men who have said they are really longing for a woman who displays that kind of guardedness because it is so rare to find in this culture today. You know, a lot of us as women that men are not really very good protectors. They don't protect purity. They don't protect femininity. But so often we as women aren't giving them much to protect because we don't even guard those things in our own lives. So just something to think about. If we want men to rise up and be good, strong protectors, we need to start by protecting the things that God's entrusted to us. Mary, the mother of Jesus, of course, is an amazing example of feminine guardedness in scripture because it says that she cherished all these things in her heart. She didn't run around the countryside blabbing everything to everyone. She kept some of the most amazing things in history happened to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and yet she kept those things guarded and treasured in her heart. And that requires, again, a lot of grace and godly discipline because our natural instinct is to want to share everything with everyone. And yet there is something so beautiful about a woman who holds back Now, this does not mean that you need to go hide off in a corner somewhere and never share anything with anyone and be afraid to talk to the opposite sex. And that's taking this whole thing of feminine mystery just out of context and making it into a legalistic rule and allowing it to make you paranoid about relating to the opposite sex. That's not God's pattern at all. But it does mean looking at the sacred things that God has entrusted to you, your dreams, your desires, your hopes, your emotions, those kinds of things, and not just freely handing them out to anyone, but holding them back for the right person and the right time. Another example in scripture that I see of a woman who really guarded feminine mystery is Ruth. Now, some people look at Ruth and they think, well, she was really aggressive towards Boaz. She really, you know, pursued him. But if you really take a deeper look at the story, Ruth laid down her own agenda from the very beginning of the story. She had the opportunity when her husband died to go back to her own people, to pursue marriage, to go where things were comfortable. And yet she desired to give her life, to pour out her life to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she said, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And that was a decision to lay down her own agenda, to not pursue her own dreams and desires, and to say, even if I'm single for the rest of my life serving this elderly woman, that is what I'm willing to do. And she follows Naomi into her homeland, and she's really an outcast. She's in poverty. She she chose a harder road. And even when Naomi 
desires Ruth to be with Boaz as a redeemer for their family, Ruth was very submitted and surrendered to Naomi the entire time. She didn't push her own agenda. And everything that she did was an act of surrender and humility. And that was what Boaz noticed about her. And he said, you could have run after younger men, whether rich or poor, but you are a virtuous woman because you have basically lived that surrendered life of humility. And God raised her up because of that humility. So if you really study the story of Ruth from that context, you'll see a woman who displayed great feminine mystery. Abigail, the wife of David, was another great example. She had such a discretion and guardedness and wisdom, even though she was married to someone who was very evil and very selfish. The way that she presented herself, the way that God gave her wisdom for that situation, and just her graciousness and her honor was very beautiful. And I think it was beautiful in the eyes of David. So go back and read the story of Abigail as well. All of these women had this in common. They they were discreet, they were guarded, and they were surrendered. They did not push their own agenda. And that's really how you guard your feminine mystery. It's not about hiding away in a corner. It's about saying, Lord, the things you've entrusted to me are sacred, and I want to treasure them and value them the way that you value them and not just hand them out to anyone to wait for your time and your Remember that men desire to be the initiators. It really gives them that feeling of of being honored and respected when we allow them to take those first steps in a relationship, even though it's hard. And I've told the story before when Eric and I were first forming our relationship. I came so close to initiating things with him. And there was one time when he was about to leave for about a year. He was going to go to a missionary training school and he had not clearly expressed his feelings for me. And it really bothered me because I knew that there was something more between us than just friendship. And I wanted to know where he stood on things because I thought, you know, he's going to leave for a year. I'm not going to hear from him. I'm not going to be able to sleep for an entire year wondering where things are at in the relationship. And there were so many times I almost started that conversation, but God just held me back and said, let him be the initiator. That's what I've designed him to be. And when he finally sat down with me, which was about a day before he left town and said, you know, this is what I feel God is doing between us. The second thing he said to me in that conversation was, thank you so much for being guarded and allowing me to take the first step in this relationship. And it means so much to me. And I was just blown away by that because I thought about how close I had come to not doing that and to not heeding that caution that God had given me. So I would say without a doubt that women who are guarded and who protect the sacred things are attractive to godly men. Now, again, this may not be attractive to a man who's been shaped by the culture, but a man who truly has the heart of God will desire a woman who values the things that God values. And even though we've talked about this before, remember to hold out for a man who protects purity and protects femininity not one who's out to conquer those things. I hope these questions have been helpful for you. If you'd like to go deeper into the issue of godly purity, please join us for our upcoming Purity Summit. You can visit braveheartedchristian.com and click on the events tab to learn more. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.